For hundreds of thousands of years, our ancestors were hunter-gatherers and foragers, depending on wild plants and animals for survival. Then, a revolution occurred. Our interaction with other species began to change. We tamed them. The human population boomed and civilization began. Biological anthropologist Professor Alice Roberts has explored this shift in her latest book, Tamed, telling the extraordinary stories of 10 species that became our allies and changed our world. She'll be sharing her insights in two free talks at Bournemouth University's upcoming Festival of Learning. We caught up with Alice ahead of the festival to find out more. My name is Alice Roberts. I'm a physical anthropologist at the University of Birmingham, where I'm also a professor of public engagement in science. And I believe that universities should throw open their doors and uh, their researchers should be talking to the wider world about all the wonderful work that they're doing. And you're coming to Bournemouth University's Festival of Learning, which is our biggest public engagement activity. Um, we've got free events and activities for the local community. Why do you think it's important for universities to do things like that? Universities are engines of knowledge. This is uh, where knowledge is created. This is where research is carried out. Uh, some of it blue skies research, looking into the way the world is, the way the universe is, the way that our bodies function. Some of it is really heavily applied, so it's aimed at answering questions. What's the best way to, to feed the world? What's the, what are the most healthy things to do with our bodies? Uh, what's the best way of obtaining energy? All of those things which are really kind of relevant to us as a society. Um, and some, some that are more politically relevant as well. How do we tackle climate change? All of that sort of thing. We need to be informed about that. So we need to have access to the latest research. Everybody in society needs to have access to it. So I think it's really important that, that universities allow people outside their own campus so outside their own staff and students they need to they need to share that knowledge much more widely um it's useful as a society to have that i think it makes us more democratic but there's also something really joyful about it you know these are these are absolutely brilliant stories and i think it's great that bournemouth's got this wonderful festival where all of these fantastic stories are being told to really wide audiences. And your talks are actually part of our Festival for the Family, which is um, a range of events for all ages, from toddlers to grandparents. Um, do you remember when you first got inspired and how that happened? Oh, I think I was interested in science from a, a really early age. I mean, I think lots and lots of children are, most children are. Um, and I think that we don't really separate ourselves out into either being scientists or non-scientists until until much later but yeah I can I can remember being fascinated by the natural world in particular when I was when I was a very small child and then I just developed this incredible fascination with the human body and uh, the anatomy that would grab me and end up being you know my main focus of study my main focus of research um, so yeah it got me early. And you're giving two talks at the festival about your book Tamed um, which is all about the species that shaped our world um, what can people expect from your talks and what are you hoping they're going to take away afterwards? Well I wrote Tamed because I wanted to see if I could use a similar approach to uh, the approach I'd use to look at human origins looking at other species so I've studied human origins for a long time um, both in my own research and then and through the books I write and the television series that I make and I think you get the best story and the most truthful story where you bring together different strands of, uh, of science. So you bring together archaeology, paleontology, genetics, and especially with, with genetics now and, and genomics, when we can look across the actual genetic sequence of, uh, of the chromosomes, you know, we've got the whole genome. We're getting so much more information about our own past. And I thought, you must be able to do this with other species as well. 
So, you know, when when did dogs get domesticated? Where do dogs come from? Uh, where do horses come from? Where do cattle come from? Uh, and so I, in my book, explore actually a whole uh, range of 10 different species. Um, in the talks I'm giving, the one, for, the one for families with younger children, I might actually manage to fit in all 10, I think. And then the one which is for families with slightly older children in the afternoon, I'll just focus on three and I'll really look at those strands of evidence because there are some great stories to come out there. And did you find anything you weren't expecting or were there any species that really intrigued or fascinated you when you kind of got into researching how and why they became tame? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, and there are some, you know, there's some fantastic stories of, uh, of archaeologists uh, finding evidence of uh, you know, the, the very first evidence of domestication, whether that's wheat or whether that's horses, amazing uh, features, you know, kind of almost unexpected features that allow you to pin down when wheat first became domesticated. Uh, when you've got domesticated wheat, the seeds fall off the uh, the backbone of the wheat in a different way, and they leave a they leave a different shaped tiny scar on the grain of wheat. And archaeologists find these grains of wheat on archaeological sites, and they can they can de- they can determine whether that grain of wheat has come from a wild species of wheat or from a domesticated one. It's amazing, and we can see the spread of domesticated wheat between eleven thousand and eight thousand years ago throughout. Uh, the the farming communities in the Fertile Crescent, which is which is just wonderful, and then with horses, we have a similar kind of story of uh, archaeologists and very careful looking and knowing exactly what to look for, and a particular pattern of wear um, of teeth being worn away in horses, which is uh, completely telling. They they must have been wearing bridles, and that comes from a, a very early site called Bowtie in Kazakhstan, going back to five and a half thousand years ago. So that's the earliest evidence that we've got uh, of horses being domesticated. And then the revelations from genetics have just come through thick and fast. Actually, it was genetics that made us look again at the origin of dogs and realise that actually dogs weren't domesticated after the peak of the last ice age, which is what most archaeologists had thought up until very recently. But in fact, there's now evidence of dogs being domesticated, both genetic evidence and we have got some archaeological evidence now in the form of very early dog skulls more than 30,000 years ago by our Ice Age hunter-gatherer ancestors. So that's extraordinary too. Yeah, there's loads and loads of very new revelations. And it must make you look at things in a completely different way. Your bowl of cereal in the morning, thinking about the years and years of um, work that's gone into making that happen and actually the difference cultivating that and taming that essentially made to civilization and the way we could grow and develop i think so and i you know i i live in a fairly rural place so kind of surrounded by uh, by a farm and there are there are cattle there and yeah you know they're not they're not local they're not indigenous to the uk they they came here from the fertile crescent they probably interbred with the the local aurochs and the, the ancient cattle as they did so but they're essentially imports from elsewhere they are they've they've, they've come along with with farming uh, you know things like apples I've got a few apple trees at the bush of my garden and, you know, you think, look at the apples in your fruit bowl and think these are quintessentially English. You know, there's beautiful English orchards in in Kent and in Dorset and Somerset. And uh, no, apples are originally from Kazakhstan. So, yeah, there's this kind of really uh, wonderful, exotic flavour, actually, to these different species and these particularly these foods that we're just so familiar with. And what difference did um, taming species and foods make to civilization? Did it help us kind of grow as a as a population and go from foraging and relying very much on the landscape to actually being in control of our own destiny? Yeah, I think it is 
it underpins civilization. You don't have civilization before farming. So farming is was the essential change in human lifestyle that allowed us to start settling in the landscape, to control our food supply, and to control it in such a way that we we ended up with more food, or those early populations had more food, so the, the populations grew. And it's and it's at this point in time that we see this absolutely fundamental change for our ancestors being nomadic hunter-gatherers to being settled in the landscape. It's not until farming that we get the first villages, then towns, then cities, tree civilization appearing. So yeah, I think it's the most fundamental change to human lifestyles there's ever been. I know that we're going through massive changes now and the, the digital revolution, but I see that as a, a, as a kind of uh, almost a, an extension of what was happening going back into the Neolithic and the origins of farming. I think that's a fundamental change really. And do you think that there are lessons we can learn from the past? Obviously, now we're at a point where technology is so advanced that we can produce things that aren't part of the natural world. Do you actually think there's something we can look back on and, and take lessons from? There's, there's lots of interesting insights actually coming through from, from biology and particularly genetics now. So um, we can um, we can create new species. That's very difficult. Only Only one new species has ever been created from scratch in the lab. Um, and it, you know, it's a single-celled organism. We can tinker with DNA now. Now, what you have to decide is whether you think that genetic modification is an entirely new thing, or actually whether that's just what farmers have always been doing by selective breeding. Um, so I think that's a big discussion to have. In order to have those discussions and debates, people need to understand genetics. They need to understand DNA. They need to understand the new revelations that are coming through from biology, where we're finding actually a lot more interbreeding between species than we'd previously thought. And this is the really new stuff that I cover in my book. You know, this is this is revelations which have really come thick and fast in the last five years, where we've realized that the tree of life, which we draw as a tree, and it is a tree, but it has lots of interconnections as well. So it's almost um, a combination of a tree and a web. Uh, so species which um, we we didn't suspect would interbreed with each other are definitely interbreeding um, and we can see that because we can see uh, the DNA from a particular species incorporated into the genomes of other species even our you know even our own species and in fact you know the big revelation came uh, with humans first in 2010 the Neanderthal genome was sequenced and lo and behold it turns out that modern humans our ancestors did interbreed with Neanderthals we've got bits of Neanderthal DNA knocking around in our genomes if you look at any other species now, it seems to be the same story. Dogs have continued to interbreed with wolves and with other wild canids. Um, apples, as they spread from Kazakhstan, interbred with wild crab apples all the way across Europe. So this doesn't seem to be an isolated phenomenon. This just seems to be how nature works. And it's something that we haven't really understood properly uh, before the genetics revolution of the last five to ten years. And so why would you encourage people to come along to your events then? What are they going to learn if they, if they come along and hear from you about Tamed? There's obviously the difference between the two talks and that the earlier one is, for, is, is going to be suitable for um, younger children, sort of later primary school age. And then the, the later talk um, will, be, will have a bit more, uh, I suppose, technical science in it, but it's still accessible to, to everybody. So it's accessible to, um, you don't have to be a scientist to, to understand what I'm talking about. I think most people are intrigued about where things come from. I think, you know, anyone who's got a dog will look at their dog and think, you know, where, where do dogs come from? How How is my dog so different looking from a wolf? And and yet, actually, 
uh, almost genetically identical, 99.5% the same genetically. Um, and, I, you know, I think those questions um, arise in, in everybody's mind. And, and it's, it's great stories. We're delving back into the past. We're delving back into prehistory and using the very latest cutting-edge scientific tools to cover these, these deep pasts. And, and they are just great stories. And this isn't your first time in Bournemouth, so you've worked with some of our academics previously and you've also got an honorary doctorate from the university. Um, are you looking forward to coming back? Of course I'm looking forward to coming back. I love Bournemouth. Um, I, yes, I'm, I'm very, uh, I was very pleased to be a graduate of Bournemouth University and to receive my honorary doctorate and uh, uh, extremely um, honoured to receive that. And yes, I've been to the university on a number of occasions, um, filming with uh, your academics, but also um, uh, visiting them, doing research as well. In fact, I've just been filming uh, with Miles Russell uh, in archaeology on a brand new series. I think I'm allowed to talk about it. Uh, a brand new programme, actually, for BBC Two on the Dark Ages. So that's been very exciting. Um, and he's a he's a pioneer in that area. So it was great to have Miles' input on that. So, yeah, now I'm looking forward to coming down to Bournemouth and seeing you all again. Alice's talks are taking place at Bournemouth University's Festival of Learning on Saturday 16th of June. The talks are free, with the first aimed at a family audience aged 7 and over and the second aimed at those 12 and above. You can find out more and book your free tickets at www.bournemouth.ac.uk forward slash FOL. We hope to see you there.